Please come. As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your kindness to us. Um, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, um, that you would grant us the grace that we may understand the way of your precepts, uh, that we, you will enable us to meditate on your wondrous works, even those works which you do in our lives. So this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I want to read verses 73 through 80. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 73 through verse 80. This is the word of the Lord. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. That those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. Uh, May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, in this particular section, uh, Yod, Kenny reminded me this morning, this is kind of the Star Wars one. This is Yoda uh, coming to us, so... I appreciated uh, seeing that. Yod is a Hebrew uh, letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And as we've said, each verse in this section uh, begins with a word that begins with that letter. Um, But the question of this one is, how can uh, the psalmist think of himself as one who is blessed When he also describes himself, as we've seen in verse 25, that his soul clings to the dust. And in verse 28, that his soul melts away for sorrow. And this because probably injustice. Now, we could could make that statement and it would apply for a lot of reasons in our lives why we might feel that way. Either because of illness or disease or or perhaps uh, because of, of disappointments or discouragements in the context of our lives. Struggles that we may have in various ways, even with our own sin. But but he is probably the uh, victim, if you will, of injustice. There are people who are coming against him. He calls them the insolent, those who are rude and come against him. Uh, uh, trying to cause him to fall away from God. Um, I notice in verse 21, he says, You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt. And so that's how he's feeling, their contempt against him. And, and it comes from the highest levels. Verse 23, he says, even though princes sit plotting against me. Uh, and so even from the highest levels, they're against him. And we see even in the um, section that we read this morning, verse 78, let the insolent be put to shame because they've wronged me with falsehoods. They've told lies about him to discredit him. And then kind of a summary statement in verse um, in verse 85, he said, or 84, he says, how long will your servant endure when will you judge those who persecute me 
The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. Uh, they do not live according to your law. So we get a sense of his life. And so we're asking the question, uh, how can he describe his life like that? And as one who's blessed, that's how the psalm begins. Blessed are those. And so he counts himself as one who lives in relationship with God, who lives in covenant with God, one who is blessed, one who's working in his own life to be faithful to God. And yet still he finds himself um, in this situation. And and I raise that question, uh, A, because I think it comes from the passage, but B, also, because in, in, in the world in which we live, even in certain pockets of those who call themselves to be Christians, there's this sense in which you can only be blessed if God takes away all adversity from us. This prosperity gospel that's preached in various pockets, uh, that, that if you have enough faith, then you'll know uh, prosperity. You'll have all that you need and even want, in certain, in both in terms of your wealth and in terms of your health. And, and the psalmist would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I believe, but yet I find myself being afflicted in various ways. And, and so he wouldn't describe to that gospel. He might say, let me tell you a gospel of adversity rather than the gospel of prosperity. And still he would say, I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, others would say that, that really to live a blessed life, it means you must follow your passion. And yet the psalmist would say, wait a minute, I know that not all my passions are godly ones. And so my prayer is that God would cause my passions to be his passions, you see, um, or better than his mind, so that I would follow after him, not Mine. And some would say that, you know, if you have enough faith and, and you mature enough that you'll reach a point of sinless perfection and, and therefore all your struggles will be gone. And, and the psalmist goes, no, 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 no. I, really, I'm trying to be faithful to God. And yet still I know my own sin. In fact, the last verse of this very long psalm is one like that. He, he says, he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not com- uh, forget your commandments. And so, so he knows his own heart. He says, no, that isn't it. You can still be one who's blessed, lives this life in relationship with God, still find yourself with this adversity. Um, it, it rather resonates, if we find out about him, with something that um, Dr. J.I. Packer wrote some time ago in a little book called Hot Tub Religion. If you haven't read that book and if that title um, um, makes you wonder what he has to say about that, then I would encourage you to buy that book. It's very good. In one section, he speaks about joy. And if I could impose on Dr. Packer something, I think he would agree that joy is the emotion that is true of one who knows himself or herself to be blessed Joy is the emotion that, um, that accompanies this uh, life of being blessed, of living with God. It's not a giddiness, not that kind of joy where you have a smile on your face all the time. Uh, but it's this deep sense of contentedness and peace and whatever that feels like at a moment in time in the context of someone's life. And what Packer lays out, he says, there's four things that accompany this kind of joy, this emotion that accompanies blessedness. He says there's four things, and we can see, we've already seen the first three, that the psalmist knows. The first one, Packer says, is that to have this joy um, means that you know that you're loved. You know that you're loved. You know that there's someone who loves you, people who love you. 
who accept you. And surely the psalmist knows this in his relationship with God. Verse 41, uh, even though he's suffering adversity, he says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. He knows the steadfast love of God. You remember uh, King James Version, I don't know if here, but in other places... Uh, translates this word as loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which, which means that God has bound himself to love his people. It's a covenant love. It's a promise. It's a vow that God makes. But he says, I will love you. I'm bound to love you. Therefore, I'm bound to love you in every situation and in every circumstance. This sense of I can't not love you. I always will. Love you. And the psalmist, in the midst of this adversity, clings to the steadfast love of God. We see it in verse 76. He says, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your your promise. Um, This sense, the New Testament put it, if God is for you, who can be against you? That kind of thing. He knows the very love of God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously or generously give us all things that sense? And even in verse 75, we see it as well. He says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. He realizes that his suffering, his affliction, isn't because God has abandoned him. It's rather a sign of God's faithfulness to him. God's faithfulness is that, first of all, I I will work in you in such a way to cause you to walk in my ways. Because I know that that's a blessing. If you're not walking in my ways, you you can't know this blessing and this joy. And so I'll work in such a way that that, that's that's my faithfulness to you. And and faithful to to the psalmist's prayers. He's been praying all along that God will enable him to know this blessedness, that God will enable him to walk in his statutes and know his precepts and understand his ways and see his wonders and all of that. And so he says, well, this is God's faithfulness to me. In God's wisdom, this is what's necessary for me to walk in his ways. This is what's necessary for me to know the blessed life. This is what's necessary for me to have joy. And so... He comes not because he doesn't love me, but rather because he loves. In the New Testament language, in the author of Hebrews, it's that we're to understand God as our Father, who out of love disciplines us, even through hardships. And so the, the, the author of Hebrews says, no, this isn't pleasant, necessarily, right? But it yields great fruit, a harvest of righteousness and peace. And the psalmist says, I know that I'm loved by my father. Because he puts me through this, that I might know him and not stray from him. In fact, the second thing that Piper says, not only do we know that need to know that we're loved, but we also need to realize that our situation is good. That our situation is good. And what's amazing about the psalmist and helpful to us is that even in this affliction, he sees his situation as good. 
and he sees it as good, first of all, because he knows that God is good. And in verse um, 68, we saw last Sunday, he says, you are good and do good. And as I mentioned, uh, a number of the verses in that particular section all begin with this letter tet, because the, the word in Hebrew for good is tov. And so really you could translate, translate this verse 68 as good you are. This sounds more like Yoda. Good you are and good you do. Right? And so he knows that about God. Therefore, because he belongs to God, then he, 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 he looks at his life and he says, as the apostle would say, I can be content in all situations. Why? Because God is good. Therefore, even this situation, this situation, maybe not what brought it into being, could have, it was the evil of other people and it was real evil, but he sees his situation as good. Uh, because God is good. In verse 65, his testimony, even in the midst of this affliction, he says, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Again, if we could literally translate it, it would be, good you have done to your servant. Right? And you've done it according to your word. You, you said you would uphold me. You said you would teach me. You said you would cause me to walk in your ways. And so here we go. And so you're doing that, even in the midst of this difficulty. So, so... So good. And then we see it very explicitly in verse 71. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? Because there's a good purpose in it that I might learn your statutes. He reasoned. God is good. God is wise. He must know that what I need to know his statutes is this affliction. Knowing his, affli- knowing his statutes is great delight. Knowing his statutes, understanding his ways, uh, how, does he, how does he put it? Is, is more valuable than, uh, than, than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. So he says, therefore, and this is good, that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. He's saying, he's saying, before I, I, before this happened to me, and I, we don't know exactly what was going on in the psalmist's life, but we sort of do. Because we know that when life is blissful and easy, it's easy to skip checking in with God. It's easy to skip that moment in the scripture. It's, 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 it's easy to skip that prayer time. It's easy uh, to skip being conscious of of God and being grateful to him and all those kinds of things because things seem to be going so well. Uh, the, 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 in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the warning was for the Israelites, be careful when you go into the land and you begin to prosper, you're going to begin to think that your prosperity is from your wisdom and power. And in these are the most dreadful words, perhaps in all the scripture, you'll forget the Lord is your God. And so you get the sense that the psalmist was saying, I realize, God, without this affliction, I may well forget you. And so before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I'm back. Now I keep your word. And so this sense of his situation being good. And so he can say, I really am blessed. Why? Because I'm, a, I'm loved by God. My affliction isn't because he's abandoned me, but because he's being faithful to me as a faithful father. And secondly, uh, 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 my situation is good because look at what it's bringing in the context of my life. And then the third thing that Packer notes about having joy 
is that we need to have something worth having. Something that's valuable to have, something that is of great value. Notice verse 73. He says, your hands have fashioned me, have made and fashioned me. That word fashioned, the dictionary dictionary definition is to make into a particular or required form. So what he's saying is, is you've made and you've fashioned me even through this affliction. You're fashioning me, you're making me into a particular form. Good dictionaries, um, at least helpful ones for me, always give that word in a sentence, you know. And so here's the sentence that comes out of the Cambridge Dictionary. It says, he fashioned a hat for himself out of newspaper. <laughs> he fashioned a hat for him out of the word fashion. So you get the picture. You, you take some newspaper, it's just newspaper. And then you look at it later and it's a hat. <laughs> well, it was fashioned. Somebody cut and pasted and folded in such a way that this piece of newspaper became a hat. And there's a sense in which that's what God is, the psalmist is saying to us. You've fashioned me through this affliction. You've taken me, ordinary old me, and you've fashioned me into a man of God. You've fashioned me into a person after your own heart. You've fashioned me into a person who loves your law. You've fashioned me into a person who follows after your ways. Through this affliction, you've fashioned me. You've made me. And he looks at himself in a sense and he says, I have something worth having. I have, I, I have the, the great value here. God has worked and fashioned me in my life. And, and I know his word. And I'm walking by it. And his word is my delight. And his word is more valuable than any pieces of silver and gold. Than anything else. And he realizes that. And so not only does he know that he's loved. Not only uh, does he know that his situation is good. And not only does he know that he has something worth having. But, but Pacrisus is a fourth thing. He says there's a fourth thing. And, and that's this. To really live a blessed life and to really know the joy of it, you, you need to have something worth giving. As a human being, to know blessing, to know joy, we really need to have something worth giving. Giving, not just something worth having, but something worth giving. Because you see, we were created in the image of God. And while on the one hand, we stress this a great deal, and we should, it's very important to know that you're loved and to be loved. We see all kinds of dysfunction when we see people, and perhaps even in our own lives, who haven't really been loved. And we can see uh, the harm of that in their lives, what it produces the dysfunction. So we know that we need to be loved, but it isn't complete then, you see, as human beings. We must also love. We're made really to love. When the commandment says we're to love your neighbor as yourself, that isn't a commandment to love yourself. That's a commandment to love your neighbor as if your neighbor were you. <laughs> How would you love you? If it was you over there, that's the point of it. Because you see, we're made to give. We're made to serve. We're made to love. You remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he stripped himself of his glory, his outward glory. At that point, just his clothing, if you will, and took on the form of a servant who was 
beautiful image of the incarnation. That's for another time. But, but there he was. And what did he do? He went and washed his disciples' feet. And there were some dynamics in the midst of that, you remember, with Peter. But at the very end of it, he, he says, no, no servant is greater than his master. And, and, and the, the whole passage begins with John saying he was about to show the full extent of his love. That would happen on the cross, but we get a shadow of it here. Of it here. His full extent of his love was to humble himself in such a way in order to serve them, to do the dirty jobs, to do what no one else would do, you see. And, 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 and what Jesus is saying is, this is how you're to live. This is the blessed life. It's really to, to serve. That's why Jesus could say, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. No, it's blessed to receive, you see, when you're in need. <laughs> but he said, really? Because you see, when you received, you know you're loved. But, 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 but he says, really now, you want to know the blessed life. You've got to love. You've got to give. You've got to serve. You're not complete until that happens. And so to really be blessed, you have to have something worth giving, you see. And Jesus was with his disciples on that night that he was betrayed. He spent a great deal of time talking not only about his going and not only about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but the impact of all that and who they were to be. And you remember, he says, you're to love one another as I've loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus summarizes that by saying, I tell you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Now, why did he say that? He said that because living self-centeredly and living a self-centered life will destroy you. It will suck all the joy out of your life. You weren't made, we weren't made to live like that. We were made in the image of God to love. We are made in the image of God to give. And so he says, to really know my joy, Jesus would say, the joy that I have, the joy that took him to the cross was the joy of giving, of sacrifice. Now, one of the things about being uh, in affliction, as this psalmist was, or suffering in any way, is that the tendency, and it's a natural tendency, and it's almost a necessary tendency at times, the tendency is to become self-focused. You know that. I know that. I know that when I'm sick, I'm thinking, I feel terrible. How can I stop feeling terrible? I know that when I'm discouraged and disappointed because of something, I'm thinking about myself. How can this discouragement flee my life? How can I get rid of this, you see? Um, when, when I'm having relational is- issues with people and I feel hurt by that, I'm feeling hurt by that. I get it. I'm feeling hurt by that. And, and we become inwardly focused, in part because we have to take care of certain things uh, about our lives. This is a natural thing. And, and, and I get that. The, 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 the danger in that is that we come to a place where we wonder if we really have anything left that's worth giving you can see how that can happen you get so discouraged or so hurting that it kind of takes you out of other people's lives very naturally it takes you out of the game if you will it it, it takes you away from everything you no longer have the mental capacity for it perhaps because because you're so concerned about the thing that you're going through or the emotional capacity or the the physical capacity or the time because you're you're taken up with all these other things that concern 
your own your own life and you you look and you realize i don't really have anything worth uh, giving uh, to to anyone else but notice how the psalmist puts it uh, in verse 74 he says those who fear you shall see me and rejoice <laughs> and you think those aren't very good friends. <laughs> They're looking at him and he's laid low in the dust and his soul is melting away for sorrow and he's being afflicted and persecuted by all of the, and, and, and all your friends, everybody else who fears the Lord, that is all your church buddies, they look at you and they rejoice. And, and you begin to think, well, what are they rejoicing about? Are they saying, I'm glad it's you, not me? You know, or, or I feel way better about myself now because of the way you look. I'm not that bad, you know. Uh, and don't tell me you haven't thought that. But... um it can't be that. His enemies would say those kinds of things. His friends would weep with him as he weeps and rejoices. He rejoices and all of that. So how can he say that? We see, every time a believer suffers, it's as if God is on trial. Every time a believer suffers, it's as if God is on trial. We read, either last week or the week before, from Psalm 42. And the psalmist in Psalm 42 uh, says that his tears indict God, really. His tears say, where is your God? His adversaries indict God. Where is your God now? See, you get that sense. And, 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 And we all wonder that. When we see someone else suffer, or when we suffer, there, there is this sense, okay, God, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to fix this? Are you going to help them? What are you going to do? And yet, the psalmist continues in the midst of his affliction to hope in God. And so he says in this verse, he says, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. Why? Because I've hoped in your word. You see, the ground of their, of their rejoicing isn't his suffering. It's the very fact that he continues in the midst of it to hope in his word. And so you see what he's doing in the midst of his suffering is he's giving a gift to all of his friends. And he's saying, look, God is still faithful. You can still trust him. And we all go, Whew. I was hoping that was true. Even in his affliction, he has something worth giving. What does he have giving? What does he what did he have to give here? He has to give. He has this hope that he can give to all those who look upon him. You know, I'm really encouraged. I'm sure you are too. When I hear people talk about answers to prayer, which changes because they've, their circumstances have changed, right? Uh, there's somebody who's, who needs a job and they get a job and you go, this is great. Or somebody who's sick and they're, they're healed and you go, that was great. Thank you, Lord. Or, or, or someone else who's, who's lonely and they, they find someone to marry and they get married and you go, oh, that's so, that's so great. Or any of the situations that you can think of where people's circumstances change, uh, in answer to prayer. And and that's very encouraging, but it's more encouraging when circumstances don't change, but God changes people. Because we realize that all of us are going to be in circumstances that aren't going to change. And we're all in circumstances that aren't changing. We're praying that the circumstances change. And other people are praying that the circumstances change. We've even called the radio station, so they'll pray that our circumstances will change. And here we are, and they're not changing. 
But then we see that the person who's in difficulty, whose circumstances aren't changing, is still following after God, is still giving testimony to God, who still is walking by faith. And you go, I'm so glad that's true. That's the gift. That's what people who are suffering have to give. That may be the most important gift that you can ever give to anybody. That great gift. You know, as I read through the book of Job, it always excites me to get to the end, in part because those middle chapters are depressing (laughs) in certain ways when you see all that's happening. And so Job gets this great revelation of God at the end. And you go, yes, that's wonderful. But to me, at least, there's a more encouraging verse in chapter 1. And the more encouraging verse in chapter 1 is that after the first ordeal that God lets Satan do to Job, where he loses all his kids and all his family and all his wealth and all of that, verse 20 of chapter 1 says that Job worshipped. He worshipped, you see. That even in the midst of that, what he had to give to all his friends was to say that let's, let's worship because God is good. He gives and he takes away. God is good. Our situation is good. He loves us. Here's my gift. Even in my affliction, I have something worth giving and that is my testimony of the goodness of God. And you can say, well, that's a pretty heavy thing to put on somebody that's suffering, you know, to say, okay, now, buck up, buddy. Uh, you, you have to have faith here so that everybody can have this gift. And, and, and the great thing about this psalm is that you see, you see two things in the psalmist. You see his deep sorrow. You see his deep pain and how he describes it. And yet in the midst of that still, however, he's clinging not simply to the dust, but to the testimonies of God. He's clinging to both those things. Both those things are true in the context of his life. And he's honest about both of them. He lays both of them out there. And so it isn't that we're faking it so that we have something worth giving in a sense. It's really true that I can be as honest about the pain and yet at the same time be as honest about the goodness of God. I simply, I trust him. And there's something, dare I say, even supernatural about that. There's something of the Holy Spirit deep in us about that. Who can speak like that except a fool or someone who's blessed by God, who really knows it to be true in the context, you see, of his own of his own life. See, there's this sense, you see, and we wonder, is, is Second Corinthians chapter 4, that even though I'm wasting away, that God is renewing me day by day, we read that passage on a good day and we wonder, is that really true? <laughs> and then we think of people who've lived it. And then when we come to live it in various ways, then others will think of us and we'll go, yes, it's true. And here's my gift. Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians in chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse, um, if I find it, I'll tell you what verse. 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted with by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, 
So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. He says, Paul's saying, I've been comforted by God. Let those who fear the Lord look on me and rejoice. And you go, well, what have you ever experienced? So then he tells in verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He says, I don't know if we thought we were going to die. We wished we were going to die. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, that's the good of it. I was afflicted. It was good that I was afflicted because now... I trust in the Lord. In verse 10, he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings uh, granted us through the prayers of many. And he says, listen, you participate. We participate in each other's lives. When I undergo something difficult, you're blessed by it. When I'm comforted, it's so that you can be comforted. When God works in my life, it's so you'll have confidence he can work in your life. And so you'll end up giving thanks for my life in your prayers. And we participate in this great blessing, all of us, together. It was ten years ago, this week, that uh, Karen, my wife, uh, was uh, had bacterial meningitis. We were all told she was going to die and all of that. Today, by the way, is what we call the wake-up day. She came out of a five-day induced coma, or comma, as I call it, just a brief pause. And um, it wasn't too many days later when she began at least a little bit to regain her faculties. That she said to me, and those of you who know her know why she would say this, I feel so unproductive laying here, doing nothing for anybody. Which wasn't quite true because she was inviting all the nurses and their children to VBS. But uh, she said, I feel so unproductive. And because of this passage, I was able to look at her and say, you've never been more productive in your life. Because God is sustaining your faith. And everybody we know is afraid that they're going to receive the same word that we received. Or go through the very same thing or worse than you're going through. And what they wonder is, is God really with me? Or has he abandoned me? And your word to them is that he hasn't. That's the most valuable gift you can give to anyone. Now, we've all suffered in various ways. We've all experienced losses, spouses, children, friends jobs perhaps that we've loved 
relationships. Some of us have struggled with various sins that plague us in various ways. Some of us have hurt deeply. Some of us have been discouraged in all kinds of ways, hurt. We live with thoughts that we wish we didn't live with. Tendencies that we wished would not be true of us. And we wonder, can I really live? Can I really love? Can I really serve? Can I really help? And the answer is, you're helping. In the midst of that, whatever or whatever's, you're a great blessing because you hope, not in your circumstances, <laughs> not in your surroundings, but you hope in the Lord. That's the most important thing you can give to anyone. And you probably can't give it unless you suffer. As you walk with the Lord, as you continue to testify of his goodness, you continue to show your hope. Even though you're tried, uh, you still trust. And even though you're hurt, you still hope and still hold to his word. If that's the case for you, you need to realize that you're giving a great gift to us, you see. And we see it in the life and the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. If anyone was ever afflicted unjustly, it was he. If anyone, as he said, who trusted the one who judges justly, that is his heavenly father, he trusted him. And what did he trust his heavenly father to do? He trusted his heavenly father through his affliction to do that work by the word that his father had given to him to save his people and to raise him from the dead. And so he went into all of this trusting and hoping in the Lord. And he becomes our Savior. Yes, he is our Savior. He is our Lord. But he's also the model for which we live our lives. Trusting. In this heavenly Father. Though we're afflicted, we suffer. That good will come. And that good will be a blessing to God's people. And we know a day will come when there'll be no suffering and he'll raise us from it. The night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What do we declare? We declare that we're loved by God. We declare that our situation is good because we're loved by God. We declare that we have something worth having which is salvation from the Lord. And we declare that we have something worth giving. And that is a testimony of the goodness of God. Even in the midst of affliction and suffering and difficulty. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks.
for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion, for the comfort of your steadfast love. So please, I pray for each of us as we go through whatever it is that we have gone through and are going through and will go through that you will strengthen us and help us by your word so that our testimony at all times, good and bad, hard and easy, can be that our hope is in the Lord. And we hope in you because you've shown yourself to be faithful, particularly the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Promised he would come, he came. Promised he would save his people from his sins, from their sins, he did. And now he is risen. We trust that along with him that we shall rise as well. So, Father, I pray you take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of this one who's the very manifestation of your love, who's the very manifestation of your goodness, who is indeed your gift to us. And I pray that belonging to him, that we can live with great hope as a blessing to you, God, for your glory, and as a blessing for your people. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.